For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Football is back. Welcome, everybody, to the Believe in the Pac-12. Jonathan Rifkin joined by Ryan Leaf. Fresh off of the airplane, coming from <laughs> <laughs> coming from Tennessee. And Ryan, before we get into what we're supposed to be talking about, of course, Pac-12 football, I want to get a sense from you what it was like your first broadcast out there with ESPN calling what ended up being a major upset in Georgia State, Tennessee. We don't talk, talk about the game specifically, but how was it for you, your first experience doing this? Well, yeah, I mean, I got an opportunity to do it a few times last year uh, in the Pac-12 conference. And it's just, you know... Walking around Knoxville and being in the SEC, it's just a little, it's just different. I mean, people talk about it, it meaning more. Uh, Coach Elliott for Georgia State used that as a kind of a, a shot taken at Tennessee after the game. They just wanted it more, and they did. The, the whole game, they just outplayed Tennessee, and uh, it was really, really cool to be a part of a game like that where it was not what we expected to happen. We prepared a ton because we thought we were going to have to talk a lot in the third and fourth quarter about the future uh, and just backstories on some guys. But instead, we got to call it the game, you know, was the content for us. Right. And sometimes that doesn't play out when you got um, games where a team's favored by 26 points. And uh, I have a great partner, a great team, and it was really fun to, to be a part of something like that in your first game. Uh, I'm just looking forward to the entire year. College football's great. College football is is uh is a fun place to to work that's for sure i mean i think this year college football will be the most watched sport um nationally outside the nba uh i mean this year more than the years past the perennial powerhouses are still there but i think that we're going to see a shakeup in who really emerges towards the end of the season and i think this, this first week was really indicative of that as a whole i mean iowa state almost lost to northern iowa we saw that. Um, obviously, Georgia, Georgia State taking down Tennessee. And in the Pac-12, there were some really interesting games. Let's just get to it. Uh, Utah-BYU, I think, is where we should start. Utah coming in, projected to win the South, which I agree with. And I think that Tyler Huntley and company showed that last night. He only passed 16 times, 13 completions, and 106 yards. No touchdowns, but Zach Moss out of the backfield. Looked phenomenal. 29 carries, 187 yards, and a touchdown. What was your take on that game? Yeah, he's a beast. Zach Moss is... is the only the only worry anybody had was how he was going to come back from his injury, and that's my biggest worry is if the the two guys that are going to lead that offense stay healthy. Both of them got hurt a year ago, which put them in a position still to win the South. But uh, you know, if those guys stay healthy, they very well could vie for the the Pac-12 championship and the college football playoff appearance. Possibly, I think their only real competition in the South. Maybe Arizona State. They looked better than I anticipated them looking with Jaden Daniels at the quarterback position. Though they, I mean, you got to look at who they're playing in their competition. But you look around the conference and you see teams that played lesser competition in what you would consider Arizona, Hawaii, 
UCLA, Cincinnati, you know, you look at those types of games and you see that they weren't able to win them. USC was barely able to get by Fresno State. They lose their quarterback for the year. So it's going to be interesting the next few weeks. The non-conference is huge in, in determining whether this conference gets the respect they deserve or, you know, gets gets the admonishment that they deserve because they're, they aren't able to win the games when presented. Right. I mean, you talk about conference perception, and you have spent some time outside of the conference now on the national scale. And outside the West Coast and even, or I guess west of Colorado, if you will, it seems like the Pac-12 is seen as almost the sixth best conference outside of the Mountain West at times because, I mean, last year Utah State was really good. Nevada, uh, sometimes you have Fresno State, you have Boise State out there. People look at the Pac-12 and they say, well, they're, quote, soft. And this is the season where it needs to be turned around. You have great teams with tough schedules that need to be able to, you know, follow through with these games. I don't know if week one was something that we can sit here and say, all right, the Pac-12 is back. National perception is going to change because Oregon losing to Auburn was a tough one. I think that everybody was banking their hats on the quote, um, you know, the Pac-12 run being from Oregon and had to start with that game. I think that that's a little bit of a media overreaction because it's a long season. Auburn's a good team. Bo Nix is a good quarterback, and we saw that last night. Um, Stanford may now have to be the, the team to carry the, the North. We'll see what happens with Washington as well. I think Easton looked really, really good as well. Um, but, I mean, the, the perception of the conference, I think this is the season where it needs to start showing that it's stronger than the rest of the nation sees it. What's your take on that? Yeah, they 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 have to. They, it's just uh, it's it's you know a situation where they have the opportunities with some big conference games, uh, non conference games, and and Oregon, you know, pretty much just kind of let that go by the wayside last night. And how that there's no there was no reason why Auburn should have still been in the game to even give them a chance at the end. They didn't execute. They didn't convert when they needed to um usc you know they they have unbelievable talent i don't know if they're if they're a talented team that's the biggest thing i uh, my takeaway is and that's gonna we'll find out a lot this week when usc and stanford play um it's K- the battle of the backups perhaps possibly kj costello may not be playing uh, after leaving the game last week with a head injury so yeah i mean it, it is the opportunity for him i don't i don't believe there was Anything in week one that made anybody stand up and go, the Pac-12 is a formidable opponent. Um, The non-conference in week three, I think, is going to either eliminate that um, stigma or perpetuate it. And um, and if anything, I came away with this week is that that Washington found a quarterback that can take the top off, and they've been looking for that for a couple years. You know he's the, he's the real deal. It was Eastern Washington, but Eastern Washington is going to vie for the FCS championship again this year. Cal comes into Washington this week. We'll find out what what both teams are made of. Wasn't terribly impressed with what Cal did, except for the fact that they ran the ball really well. But UC Irvine's a good football team too. So, you know, I I, I don't know if they did anything to to change anybody's opinion. I think the SEC is getting a lot of attention this week because. A bunch of their teams were upset by some teams that they normally aren't by. But the, the top end of the SEC, the teams that are in the, the top 25, they destroyed people. And those are the ones that, you know, that's what the Pac-12 is trying to establish is that we're great from top to bottom. We just don't have a standalone team that could go 13-0 and and, and make make the playoff. That's that's the difference. And unless you're making the playoff, people don't consider you a real 
real conference sometimes. And that's the toughest thing for the Pac-12 is no team since the inception of the 12 teams in the Pac-12, no team has gone undefeated in conference play. And I think that that speaks to, number one, the talent in the conference because you look from top to bottom, every team has, possesses a lot of talent. I mean, you just said Cal, who perhaps was voted to finish at the bottom of the conference, has a great offensive line and a good running game, but they're not going to beat you know the top heavy Pac-12 teams. And that's going to become a problem for the conference because it takes away from the talent that these teams have and the perception that these teams could build on. I want to go back now to um, that Eastern Washington Washington game because you mentioned Eastern Washington, a phenomenal FCS team. They typically get a quarterback or two, that tr- a grand transfer that goes to an FBS school. They play pretty well. Um, Jacob Easton, the transfer from Georgia, 349 yards, four touchdowns. He was phenomenal. But I think that that offensive line is really the MVP because not only were they able to protect him in the pocket, he didn't have that many uh, opportunities or he didn't get flushed out that often, but it, they were able to use two different uh, running backs rather in Salvin Ahmed and Richard Newton, both carried very well. Newton specifically 91 yards and a touchdown. Both had a touchdown as well. Ahmed had 44 yards on the ground. But that offensive line is really good, and that's something that Coach Peterson has always done up at Washington, and that's going to speak volumes when they get into the thick of the schedule. Yeah, and they're going to get thick of it, they're going to get in the thick of it this week. So, um, you know, it, it's it's not reloading at Washington; it's it's just re-upping with what Chris Peterson does, and that's why they're my they're my team to win the Pac-12 conference this year. I, until somebody shows me otherwise, I'm not going to say they're not going to be the team that gets it done. Um, we'll learn a lot this week. You know, we'll learn a lot this week when Cal comes to town. They embarrassed him a year ago. They made Chris Peterson and that offensive unit look silly, even pulling their four-year starter, Browning, to uh, replace him with Jake Hayner, who threw what would be the game-ceiling interception. So, I mean, there's a lot on the sta- on a lot on the line here. I- I've said all offseason, I-, I-, I, don't- I don't think Cal – I think Cal's improved enough. I don't think they're good enough to win the North, but they're going to decide who actually does because they're going to beat somebody like a Washington, like a Stanford, like a Washington State, or like a, a Utah. That, that they'll, de- they'll determine who wins, actually. I want to move over to the USC game um, because I've largely talked about it. I talked about it on my talk show up in Oregon last year. Bruce Feldman stands by this, and I stand with him. He's the only other person that I've ever heard actually agree with me on this, that the Pac-12 perception changes when USC becomes successful again. Because nationally, the Pac-12 success has typically revolved around the success of the USC Trojans, and that's the perception that people associate with the Pac-12 is the success of the perennial powerhouse. You haven't had people uh, agree with you on that? (laughs) No, I have not. Really? It's weird. I think a lot of people are homers, and not a lot of people like USC. And so when you say, well, the Pac-12 success relies on the backs of USC. I don't know who you're hanging around with. That's that's the perception I've gotten from everybody. Well, that's why I'm hanging out with you now. That's the perception I've gotten from everybody. I mean, if if USC is good, if USC is good, the perception of the Pac-12 is good. And um, and when they're not, people could care. No one cared about Washington State last year. Washington State was as good as anybody last year. Oh yeah. If they beat Washington, they may go to the college football playoff. They beat they were would have been, you know, eleven and one going into the into the Pac-12 championship. So unless USC is good, no one really really cares about the conference in terms of whether anybody else is getting to have Oregon lose in the opening week like Washington in the opening week a year ago. Unless USC does something dramatic here in the first six games with a, a freshman quarterback most likely and the most brutal schedule I've seen, the only team that I say would be a for-sure win, and I wouldn't even consider it a for-sure win, is going to BYU in week three. 
you know, I don't know what I don't know what to expect from from USC, which means I don't know what to expect from this conference. Yeah, I mean, you talk about USC talent wise, they have an abundance of riches. I mean, you have Almon Ross, St. George, who was really really good last night. I was at the game. First of all, I was a little bit disappointed in the call, the new Coliseum show out. It was beautiful, brand new renovations. USC looked really good on their opening three drives. JT Daniels looked more comfortable in the pocket than he was last year, and he looked good on the run, which is something that he's improved on from a year ago. He went down. They brought in Keaton Slovis. He had a great 49-yard pass on his second attempt. He ended up with 57 yards on the game. So that, that one pass basically accounted for the consumption of his yards totaling the entire game. Mind you, he's a three-star from Scottsdale, Arizona. He was overlooked last year. He only got one uh, Power 5 offer from USC. The rest were lower-level FBS schools. And I don't think he expected to come in. He's the reason Matt Fink left the program. He beat out Matt Fink in the offseason for that uh, second-string position. I think that USC wishes that Matt Fink stayed now because he would have been more comfortable, I think, in these situations than somebody like Slovis. But now it's Slovis' turn to come in and, and try to use the abundance of riches at the wide receiver, whether it be Tyler Vaughns, whether it be Stephen Carr out of the backfield, or Amon, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, excuse me, even Michael Pittman Jr., who only had six looks last night, and most of them were dump downs. It's going to be really important that they build some chemistry quickly because, as you mentioned, USC's schedule gets really, really tough. And with a freshman quarterback, I'm not exactly sure how they're going to fare. And I wasn't even sure how they were going to fare with JT Daniels at the helm. Um, Fresno State, was, is a, they're always a pretty good team. They lost their starting quarterback last year and their number one and two wide receivers. Uh, George Reyna wasn't terrible, 256 passing yards and two touchdowns. But I think that, like you said, next week against Stanford, that Stanford defense is always really good. And Brian Shaw knows how to coach against USC. Clay Helton's coaching for his job, I think, this season. Um, so next week is going to tell a lot about how USC is going to look and also how Stanford's going to look, depending on who's at quarterback for them, whether it be KJ Costello or otherwise. Let's yeah, move. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, Clay Helton's fate is tied to a freshman quarterback. It was a year ago, and it, and it shall this year be as well. We'll see with Sears entering the transfer portal a week ago. Um, no one's picked him up yet. He is a possibility. He he probably had the best game in conference a year ago against Arizona State. Um, and if JT Daniels is out, there hasn't been any confirmation yet to us whether he has a torn ACL, but it, it sure looked like it. That's that's where you grab your knee when something like that happens. And and uh, if he's going to, you know, if his fate's going to be tied to another freshman quarterback, you could already probably say Clay Hilton is, uh, is a lame duck coaching right now. But something's got to change. Uh, they're going to have to win. Uh, these games, they didn't look particularly good against a team that, like you said, replaced their quarterback and their top wide receivers and almost came back and, and put themselves in a position to to tie that ball game late. I want to go back and apologize. I said Matt Fink. I meant Sears, who transferred. Um, but moving He hasn't on, transferred yet. <laughs> entered the transfer portal. Right. Correct. That's Thanks. a huge differential right. to make that once you're in it doesn't mean you're gone. Um, and, and Clay Helton said in his postgame – um, post-game press conference that, that you know he always he told Sears that the, the door was always open for him. So that's a that's a offering for him to possibly come back, and he, he probably going to need him because Slovis though was coached by Kurt Warner in in, in high school, and when they showed up and watched the kid, they they thought they got a steal, and everybody talked about him in camp, and so I think a lot of people feel comfortable with him. He just when you watched him play last night, you just. You didn't necessarily see what everybody else has been seeing because, you know, you're a true freshman. Playing college football as a true freshman in your first game is hard. 
Tua didn't do it. Trevor Lawrence didn't do it. Bo Nix looked average at best, but showed that he had the competitive nature in him last night to beat an Oregon team down the stretch. But they're still freshman quarterbacks, and it's difficult to play in this conference, period. Where does USC have to go for Clay Helton to keep his job? He's not going to keep his job. It's, it's, he, I feel like he's a lame duck coach, and it's going to be that way the whole year. I ask questions all the time what their record has to be at the bye week you know, before they play Notre Dame, after they play Notre Dame. Those are the first six games. I said, if they're 3-3, three and three, you know, no one's going no to accept that because that's not going to win the South. So for him to keep his job, I, I'd say he has to be 5-1 and one or 6-0 and oh with wins over you know, Notre Dame, Washington, Utah, Stanford. Those would have to be four wins in that, in that scenario, and I don't, I don't know if they can do that with a freshman quarterback on the road in particular, uh, at Washington, um, at Notre Dame. So it's going to be a tough road to hoe, and it's, uh, it was an exciting first week. I don't know if we learned a lot. We learned that uh, we continue as a conference not to, not, not able to win big non-conference football games. UCLA was, everybody was hyped for them for some reason. Uh, just looked dismal, and 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 you know Chip Kelly's offense looks outdated. He was the one that changed college football offenses in 2012, but now everybody else is doing it. He had to become terribly innovative in something new, and that's. That's hard to do. Try to do something uh, like a genius twice in your life. You know, that's that's a difficult ask. UCLA is in for a long year, I think. They are. I mean, they were out. With, they were without Josh Kelly. They were without Theo Howard. They were without Darnay Holmes. Arguably, the three most impactful players. Dorian Thompson Robinson looked lost out there. He had two touchdown passes, but he had two interceptions. His QBR was five point nine against a Cincinnati defense. That ranked 117th last season and returned most of their players, for better or for worse. UCLA could not stop the run. 26 for 92 for Michael Warren, the second on the ground, and a touchdown. They also gave up 53 yards on 10 carries to back up Jared Dokes. I mean, you mentioned Chip Kelly's offense. Actually, Chip Kelly's team looks outdated. I mean, they play the, they play the 4-3, and they still couldn't stop the run. And I think that, number one, he's still in the youth of his coaching career at UCLA. Recruiting's been tough. I think that, you know, down the line of season two seasons, maybe, I mean, not maybe, they should get a new quarterback by then. Dorian Thompson-Robinson is not somebody who's impressed me so far uh, in his in his last two seasons. I know Spates also had some, some opportunities last year, but um, this season UCLA, I think, is going to be a bust, unfortunately, for all the Bruin fans, like you said, who are hanging their hats on this being a, a positive year for them. And it's going to be tough for the Pac-12 because if you have a down Los Angeles is kind of the center of it all. If UCLA is bad and USC is bad, again, the perception of the Pac-12 doesn't change. It stays negative. Um, and Oregon losing to Auburn, again, was not something that was, you know, propelling the conference in the right direction perception-wise. Um, I want to go down to some of the, the lesser impactful games, but still kind of gave us an idea of where these teams will sit. Arizona versus Hawaii opening up week zero. Cleo Tate, three touchdowns, which was great. 361 yards, look like Cleo Tate. Two interceptions, um, and their defense was just awful, unfortunately. 45 points given up to Hawaii, who had a quarterback competition coming into the game. It ended up being Cole McDonald. He passed for 378 yards and four touchdowns. He threw four interceptions, and the Wildcats really couldn't convert on uh, on two of those four interceptions. Khalil Tate also led the, the rushing attack, as usual, 13 for 108. 
I mean, they don't have any fluidity on offense. He passed. It's just a lot of numbers. It's just it's 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 a lot of numbers, and it's the same thing. They they are exactly the same team they were a year ago, which means they're going to be middle of the road, five and seven, six and six. Uh, and, and you know, I don't know if that's just you know if that's just the Kevin Sumlin way now. I know for a fact that they are not. They were not pleased. They're not happy with Khalil Tate as the quarterback, but they don't have a guy they can start other than him. So, um, what was your biggest surprise, um, or, or th- this first week? Anthony Gordon, uh, your alma mater, Washington State. They just dismantled New Mexico State, fifty-eight to seven. He looked phenomenal out there. I mean, twenty-nine for thirty-five, four twenty-five touchdowns, ninety-eight and a half QBR. He used the array of wide receivers that they had. Desmond Patman. 7 for 103. I mean, I was up there. I was in Pullman calling the Oregon-Washington State last game last year, um, and everybody was talking about what's going to happen to Washington State after this season. I mean, they just they were up 27-0 to zero against that's Oregon. What they were saying. That's what they were saying a of year course. ago when they lost but to Luke Folk. But Mike Leach always finds a way. I love him. He always finds a way. And Anthony Gordon is phenomenal. Gage Gabrud? Gabrud. Gabrud behind him. 9 for 11, 76 yards and a touchdown. Looked really good. Trey Sinsley came in for a half a drive. I don't think that he's going to get much playing time. But offensive line is stacked again. I mean, Max Borgie out of the backfield, 10 for 128. They barely run the ball. This guy still gets 130 yards. I think that Washington State emerging out of the north is something that I expect more than anything at this point because, I don't know, Washington, Trevor Eason's really good. I think that Washington State-Washington game may actually decide who ends up winning it's the north. It's decided the last three years who's won the north. That's the... The, the, the silly part of it all is that Washington State's had a chance to win the North three years in a row, and they cannot get off the bus against Washington. So until that changes, nothing else is going to happen. Jimmy Lake has got Mike Leach wrapped around his little finger. He's got to figure something out different because they can go off and win 10, 11 games and still not win the Pac-12 conference and not play in a big bowl game. So, you know, it's put up or shut up time when it comes to Washington State. I you know, leech is going to leech. Air raid's going to air raid. That's just how it how it works up there. You could he believes if any of those quarterbacks that sit in his quarterback meeting step on the football field, they can do what Anthony Gordon did a night ago because the, of what the offense does. And the receiver position is as deep as any any position in the country. For me, the my, my, the biggest prize for me was the Colorado Buffaloes. Um, they put up fifty two points. You know, Mel Tucker knew what he had when he walked in here, and I always kind of thought they have they had a ton of skill position players: Katie Nixon, Lavisca Chenault. Um, you know, Alex Fontenot is the one that surprised me. He's a big, strong-looking running back, and they ran all over Colorado State, and the defense got turnovers, and they turned turnovers into points. I looked for wins to attribute to Colorado this year, and all I could find were losses. The South is absolutely going to be chaotic. There could be Utah at the very top and every other team at around, you know, 5-7 and seven and 6-6 six and six in the South. That's That's how good every one of those teams can be and and when you say well those are those are crappy schedule or those crappy uh win loss records but it's because they're all really good they're going to cannibalize each other and and make it for entertaining fun football um oregon state kind of was oregon state they this year they scored more points against an oklahoma state team but the defense did exactly what they did a year ago they they allowed 52 points i think they allowed 45 a game a year ago coach knew that was going to be a problem um, they have to limit some stuff. They allowed 400 running yards, rushing yards. It was it was a tough tough showing for the defense. Yeah, the defense is is had a problem. So uh, we'll finish up here with uh, Cal UC Davis. They beat a uh, FCS opponent like they should. I, I I think they found a running back. Chase Garbers looked better than he did a year ago offensively. The Stanford Northwestern one was a was a game I thought a lot of people um, would be different. K 
K.J. Costello leaving at halftime impacted the game. Northwestern didn't look that good. Stanford's defense looked better. We'll learn more about what this team is uh, next week when they travel to USC and, and play them in their annual Week 2 matchup. But all in all, I think the fir- first week didn't tell us a lot. It was wildly entertaining. Um, but the next two weeks are going to tell us the most about what this conference is capable of doing before they kick it off. Week 1 showed the Pac-12 going 8-4 and four overall, 1-2 and two versus Power 5 conferences, 5-2 and two versus Group of 5 teams and 2-0 and versus the FCS. We're going to cut it off here and say goodbye. Join us on our next episode when we preview week two of the Pac-12 for Ryan Leaf. My name is Jonathan Rifkin. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcasting Network. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.